Why go to all the trouble of experiencing the great outdoors for yourself when you can listen to a few Northwest Outdoor experts yap about it? This is the Three Rivers Marine Outdoor Line with Tom Nelson, Rob Ensley, and Joey Pyburn on Seattle Sports Station. The Outdoor Line is brought to you by Yamaha, Sportco Outdoor Emporium, Weldcraft and Duckworth Boats, Roy Robinson RV, Kitsap Marina, Harbor Marine, Ray Marine, and Les Schwab Tires. Hello, good morning, and Happy New Year. We've uh, put together a couple of our favorite segments to uh, make a little best of Happy New Year show for you, Robbo. Happy New Year, everyone. Hope you enjoy the show. These are some of our favorite segments from the last year. Hope you enjoy the show, and uh, Happy New Year, everyone. Next time you're sitting down at your computer, type in PacificCustomCalls.com. That's the website of our next guest, none other than the illustrious Trevor Austin with a shovel in his hand digging a goose pit somewhere out of Moses Lake. Moses Lake. Moses Lake, maybe. <laughs> are you are you are you a, are you a goose pit digger this morning there, uh, Trevor Austin? No, I am recently watching about twenty lesters dump into our spread. Nice. Right on. Right now. So, as we speak. So that's kind of been the program over there. Uh, lots of lessers, right? Oh, listen, you can hear them. Yeah, yeah, if you can hear them. So, oh, yeah. so right in the early early season, we get a big push of lessers. Um, right now, we are covered, covered, covered with lessers in the Moses Lake area. Um, it's pretty impressive. So what are you doing? Are, are you in layouts this morning? Are you in a blind? Are you in a pit? Yeah. Yeah, we're doing kind of a, we got a couple guys here we're taking out, and then all the guys are here together. And uh, we're going to do a little bit of shooting, and then the, the real work starts. We got to start digging pits and putting, uh, putting <laughs> so, all the lids on. So and that's, how, the that's, how you get, that's how you get the guides out there. You're like, oh, yeah, hey, come, hey, yeah, let's hey, all guys. go do a hunt. <laughs> oh, by the way, there's yeah, a shovel yeah, in yeah, your layout yeah, blind. Can, can you bring your favorite shovel with you too, dude, by the way? So. Please, please, we'll give you $10 to go buy your own shovel. That's what Austin gives us. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I know, I know some guys that are so hard at it. I mean, they, they'll, they'll bring those little track hose out and stuff and, and oh, dig yeah. them. But, but it, it's awesome all about concealment with geese and if you have a blind yeah. like that so tell us a little bit about you know how do you, how you choose the site for the blind how you cover the top of it how you keep it warm what do you use for cooking in the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the whole yeah, bit right? well yeah. that, those are the glory things about pits yeah. you're able to have a little bit of room bring a little cooker out you know propane grill and start cooking some breakfast so we don't do that all the time but sometimes we do that uh, today we're hunting out of layout blinds right now um, you know, you try to find the best hide, you know, where, you know, where the birds are at, these fields that were shooting pretty big. So location, location, location. Um, but then, you know, concealment is, is also number one as, as well. So we have, uh, we're right on the edge of two, two different fields, the green wheat and, the and a cut wheat field here. So we got a little tea, we got some brush, you know, we're mixed in with some wheat, some brush. Um, we got a nice little weed line that we're actually able to set up and hide in. That's cool, man. So one of the things also that really kind of took me by surprise was when I, you know, I we, I did go out and, and is the, the covered trailers and the full body decoys and they're standing, man, that's a big logistical challenge getting set up with all that stuff. I mean, how do you manage that? And what's the decoy spread look like these days? Trevor? Well, today, yeah, today we're running probably about a total of 150, 180 full body DSDs. Full bodies, dude. It's um, yeah. So we'll like each each guide here. We all have our own spreads. 
Uh, we run DSCs. We run Dakotas. I've got a, uh, a stuffer trailer, so taxidermy bird trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone's just got a, all the guides have really nice spreads. And um, yeah, so uh, today, like I said, about 100, 180 total, I think, decoys we got out there. We've got some snows out there just to kind of stick out. We got snows in the area. Can't shoot snows this weekend, but uh, oh, here we go. Here we go. Here We're gonna. Go. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, that's a murder fest. There <laughs> <laughs> uh, we go. That's the way it started. <laughs> it's raining honkers. Barclay. I love we got, it. We got Barclay here. We got a bunch of people out here. So there's 11 of us today. Uh, and all yeah. and and all guides. So these oh, yeah. are like these are professionals, dude. These are shooters. This is anti-aircraft fire yeah. coming in. Yeah, we got yeah we got uh, we got a couple guys. There's four actually four clients, and then the rest are guides. Today. Oh, that's so fun. How did how did yeah. those four clients get to come out and hunt with all the guides? That's a man. Everyone's so obsessed with this deer hunting that they're still trying to find <laughs> a deer and do all that. But we got a heath everywhere. We've been telling everyone that we got the birds, but people are chasing these four-legged creatures. I don't know why. Um, you know, when you got thousands of lesters sitting here just doing it. So, and and these early wild. birds probably just that. You know, they're they're not all tuned up yet. They're not all educated, so they're probably doing it really dirty. Uh, man, I you know, I've been over there and I've hunted with you guys. It's a it is a First class operation. Uh, you talk about your stuffers. You know that's the first time I'd ever Dude, hunted over. These are stuffed. These birds. are taxidermy yeah. birds. birds. They're they're honkers. Yeah. That yep, taxi- yeah, lessers, honkers. All you know. Once upon a uh, once upon a time, a real live bird that we uh, mounted up, put them on nice bases, and uh, and it's just built a trailer. Man, it takes a while to build it, but it, man, there's nothing better than realism. That's that's kind of beyond hardcore. Right. And I mean, that's, yeah, that's, I, listen, I got the, a little bit of an obsession, a yeah. little bit of an obsession. Trevor and, oh, and you know, Honk Stumper, these oh, guys, li- these guys live this. Uh, Trevor, yeah. you you start out your season early up in Canada, oh, I'm guessing. Yeah. Oh, right. You're probably yes, up in Alberta. Yes, uh, and yep. then you yeah, follow we, those birds down. Goose. Yeah. 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 So we'll 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 get the early goose here in Washington. Yeah, here. Nah, sit. No birds, sorry. Dog's freaking out. He oh, yeah. Out. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, you know, we get the early goose here in Washington. Couple- <laughs> we- we're, lo- we're losing you a little bit there, Trevor, but my, 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 dog, my dog Bailey's in the control room right now, and she's freaking out. It's <laughs> <laughs> just mean. She's like, what the heck? Uh, what's going on, Dad? There? What am I doing in studio? It's like, welcome to my world, dog. Shaking. Yeah, no doubt. It's like, I'm hearing geese and guns and everything. So, so, so uh, Trevor Austin joining us this morning live from the Goose Pit, obviously, on, on uh, 710 Sports, the Outdoor Line. Uh, tell us a little bit about Pacific Call Company, because... It's just not fall until you get to blow a call at a duck, blow a call at a goose, and have them respond. There's something so primal about that, Trevor. Tell us about how you got into the call business and how calls are working at this time of year, bud. Yeah, so we got into it. Um, I came over to Spokane after I graduated high school, met this one dude uh, that his dad actually showed us how to, how to make a barrel in his little 10 by 10 shack. Um, him and I kind of took this, what we had for a dream, uh, picked up my business partner now, Alex Jurgis, and I. We've been running it together for uh, we're over 11 years now. Um, went from a 10 by 10 shack to a two car garage to a thousand square foot shop in 
down to another about a 3,000 square foot shop. And uh, we're, we were supposed to be, we're building a, um, our own building out in Post Falls right now near Cabela's, if people know where that's at. I know, and, drove by uh, there on uh, Monday, buddy, you bet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Next time you drive by, you're going to have to swing in. So, yeah, we're building a, about a 5,000 square foot building out there. Um, it turned in from making everything on a hand lathe to machining. Uh, got to a point where we just couldn't keep up with the orders. Bought our own machine. Now we're running, uh, I think we're up to nine machines, two wood lathes, and, and ten, uh, 10 employees. And my business partner and I, Alex. So and, and it's awesome. And it's not just uh, duck and goose calls. You guys have moved into the turkey the turkey realm yeah. also. You have some beautiful box calls, diaphragm calls, pot calls. Um, I was yep. looking at, you know, I, I'm... I, I used to be a big turkey hunter. Uh, I know how how well, you know you're a you're a very passionate turkey hunter too. So it's cool to see you guys um, you know jumping into the turkey realm, hitting all the all all the levels from manufacturing uh, game calls. We we manufacture for ourselves plus many others in the industry. Uh, you know we're able to to diversify ourselves and uh, and just make what you know we've always dreamed of making. And so it's been unreal, unreal. Uh, it's a killer story, dude. We made the mistake of introducing former NFL All Pro Super Bowl champion Kevin Gogan to goose hunting. Oh, and, perfect. Yeah, and he's he's <laughs> six eight, three sixty. We're having a um, we're, we're well. having a a, well. a layout he, blind specially made for him. Right, and and you need we, to. Well, well, we're glad to hear that Sitka makes five XL gear. Okay, so <laughs> so we're we're getting him all fitted. You're gonna build a big pit because we have to drive by I ninety. Okay, he lives that neck of the woods. We can't pass. Yep. He he's gonna be blocking the road and pick and come up. He's he dude. He's got it so bad. He bought a shotgun last year and everything. So yeah, it, it's Perfect. there. We go. Yeah, another another freak has been born. All right. Trevor Austin, thank you so much for your time, buddy. Again, that website, Specific Custom Calls. Let's let's go uh, let's let's go stomp some honkers, buddy. Hey, appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having us on, and uh, hope to see you boys out here one of these days. You're sooner rather than later, buddy. You bet. Thanks, Thanks Trevor. Trevor. Talk to you soon, man. You're listening to the best of the outdoor line, Seattle Sports Station seven ten, and the Seattle Sports app. You're listening to the best of the outdoor line, Seattle Sports Station seven ten, and the Seattle Sports app. Here's a great interview from a while back that I think you're going to love. Get in, sit down, hold on, and listen up. You're in the RenaissanceMarineGroup.com's wheelhouse, brought to you by Weldcraft, Duckworth, and Northwest Boats. The mad gear scientist has shed his white lab coat, stepped in the studio, been here with us a whole show. Now we're going to dive into that massive brain, brain pan of Bob Buchanan of Bow-Mac.com. It's getting emptier year after year, <laughs> that pan, let me tell you. It Beats the alternative, though. Yes, it does. But, you know, gear innovation, experience is really the only teacher. Yeah, right? you, you got to get out there and do it. And you you got to have a network of folks that communicate with you and let you know. I mean, whether it's you saying, you know, if we could do this or picking up something at a boathouse from a guy that says, you know, this is how I do it. You, right. you got to have an open mind and, and listen. You got to be a good listener. And seeing what folks say, you have, whether having people on the boat, my own kids saying, you know, Dad, this would be a hell of a lot easier if we could do it this way. And it, it, it strikes me that that's a lot the same mental approach as, as Byron Bolton, who I got to share time with, who owns Duckworth, Wildcraft, Eaglecraft, Harborcraft, Armstrong. He spent his spare time up in Sitka walking all the docks mm-hmm. and looking at all the boats because mm-hmm. everybody has – a different solution to the challenges that we have on board, whether it's fishing, crabbing, 
right? Pot fishing and all that stuff. And so one of the things that 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 really changed the way that Joey and I do business is is the first year that, that Joey and I fished together, we did not have that crustacean coiler, your your right. Bomac line coiler. Right. And so we're untangling we were shots co- along. Coiling on the deck. Yeah. Yeah. Which when you're pulling three, you know, even 150 feet of line up to 400 feet of line, you're going to – it's just going to get – it's going to turn into a, a tangled mess. So it's a, it's a time waster. It's uh, a line management challenge. And if you have young kids or, or a dog or something like that, it's a safety it's a, issue. It's a safety issue, and it's the experience uh, – being able to enjoy it out there, yes, and not yes. having it be work, and, is, and is, it makes us look a big like part we really know what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. we're like, hey, watch this! Bam, 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 bam. Our pots are in the water, the lines are gone, buoys are out. People are like, wow, this is. And These then guys, watch this. Yeah. Here, we're gonna pull our gear, and look how easy and simple, and and it's fast. Like we can run through our gear, like commercial fishermen. We we drop five pots with four hundred foot shots. And that's 2,000 feet of line, and we get it gone in a hurry, and it blows people's brain pans off. The epitome of preparation was that one-day shrimp opener where we took had the downriggers off the boat thanks to thanks to the uh, Bernouin mounts, yeah. and we had a rigging table in back, and we had a bait table on the side because of that that yeah. side table. Just yeah. dialed, and Bob yeah. Bob brought the bait, and and it was just and we and then we had Tobek to he was our cranker, <laughs> cranky yeah. Tobek was our the, cranker, the the, the the crimson cantankerous cougar cranker, yes, <laughs> yeah, Robbie yeah, Tobek, yeah. yes, number sixty one in your program, number one in our hearts. Um, so when but you get prototypes, you make the own prototype, and that's where that line coiler came from. You went through. In fact, I have one of those prototypes mm-hmm. that actually I have, I have sixteen hundred feet on, which is that shrimp line we use in in southeast Alaska. Yeah, the biggest mistake you can make is building fifteen hundred or something or two thousand or something, and and have it not show show one and right. it works great, and not have gone out and used it. Right, mm-hmm. and and all of a sudden you get them out there in the marketplace, and you're getting them back. And and you're not returning them. They're they're, no, yours. they're yours. Plus, you've ruined two thousand people's trip. Right. Sure. And and that's a big deal. You 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 definitely do not do that because in my in my early years with a prior company, uh, we'd make a mistake once in a while like uh, that would be just devastating, and ruin a lot of people's Fourth of July. And yeah. d- didn't we? Yeah. My partner and I were determined not to let that happen with our... Well, and, and we're blessed that we do get to spend a lot of time on the water, mm-hmm. a lot of time in the woods, and the products that you make are designed to do just that, is to make your limited amount of time that much more efficient, that much more productive, and that much more fun. So, when with especially with, again, you know, hammering on the crab coiler, that system doesn't work unless you have... The prior product to it that requires it, which are the sea links, Bob. Correct. So talk to us about that and the staged way you do floats and how that system works well, together. Well, again, the important part about listening and observing walking the docks or whatever. I was uh, fueling up years ago at the Everett Marina, and next to me is a, a big commercial boat from Alaska uh, at the end of the fuel dock, uh, just kind of getting some things together before he left town and headed north. And he's got these new traps, and I was very interested in those traps. And I'm thinking, you know, how do you black cod these traps? How do you get them on and off that long line? And and he pulls out the sea link, which I've seen before. And there right. are people, right. individuals who knew about it and used them for years, but nobody ever brought them to bear at a reasonable price 
to market. And the correct size for our because those are big ceilings. Yeah. And 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 this gentleman uh, was kind enough to take the time and walk me through it and show me why it was a good deal. And he said, you know, a lot of people don't like these because they just feel like, hey, this this gear is going to come undone and fall apart. But he said it's really not. And he <clears throat> he said, you know, I go as far as as. Each single one, I tune it. And I said, well, you tune it. How do you tune it? He said, I'll put it in a vise, and I'll crimp the vise a little bit and stick another one to it, and then I'll just go each one, one after the other. So the magic, And they all work the same. The magic mm-hmm. of radio doesn't allow us to really show you a picture right now, right. but if you, you imagine a single link of a chain, okay, mm-hmm. and on one of the long sides of the chain, not the curve, but the long side, there's a V-cut, where you could take another link and turn it perpendicular, and they slide together, they and then they pull together. apart. Once they, once Just they like slide together, the only way they're coming apart is if you grab onto it, turn it sideways, and you take line, yeah. line them up and pull it apart. Yep. Um, I, and even for me, I, you know, I'm connecting the pot, then we're dropping the pot, and then connecting the buoy system to the yep. line – and I always I put it in there, and then I'm like, as I'm throwing it, I'm like, <laughs> is, is this so gonna, it goes together so easy. You feel like it could come apart. Something's got to happen can't. here. I mean, I to this day, I I carefully let it out and oh, trail yeah. it and don't I don't throw it because right. I'm thinking this has got to do it. But it it's never done. No, it's me. bulletproof. I, it I've had one come undone, and that's when when. One guy had on one end, I was holding the float end, and we were in the boat and moving around looking for something. And we looked down, and they came off. And it was because two different people had it. It was slack, and we won the lottery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. We hit time. the Powerball. So, <laughs> so, so most people rig up their crab gear just to, to put this you know, basic, basic, basic. They'll take a rope, tie a float on one end. Okay, well, that rope's tied to that float. Then they take the other end of the rope and they'll tie a knot and tie it to the shrimp pot. Okay, great. Or crab pot, whatever it is. All right, well, you've got a piece of rope that's tied to those two items. Mm-hmm. The reason the coiler works is the system's modular. You have a C link and you have two C links on the pot end, you have two C links on the float end. So you can take the float off, set it down, set this C link now in a spool, and you can crank and you got nice clean line, right? Mm-hmm. Then the pot comes up, you un- unclip it. Now you can clip another line on there, and you keep on going. And so you're breaking. You're keeping all your line on this spool. It's line only. You don't have to mess with floats or anything like that. Yes, you can put your shots of line inside each one of the crab pots. That's fine. But it gets tangled. Mm-hmm. It gets tangled, and it's going to be on the deck. And this is we, – we have ran so much crab gear, you and I, Joey, and this stuff has made us faster – more efficient and and, de- and and deadlier. Yeah, and it's just it's just like as far as storing crab gear, it's a lot of stuff. Yeah, this makes it so easy. It the lines are on the spools, the buoys because they're detachable. They're inside the pot, right? Yeah. They stay with Done the deal. pot, and it's an easy system yeah, for sure. Yep. The other thing we got to do this year, and I don't, am I if I talk about prototype rods? Where am I? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So. You sent us um, a dozen or so of these prototype jig rods. Half of them went to Robbo and Southeast, and Joey and I kept the other half. And we used them all over the place mm-hmm. and just absolutely loved them. 
Now, we used them with your jigs, which at one time were a prototype, too. Now, Puget Pounder is pretty much ubiquitous through Puget mm-hmm. Sound and on the coast and whatever. And they just the, 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 the combination of the correct jig rod and the correct salmon jig in the hands of an expert is deadlier and more efficient than downrigger gear in the right conditions. Mm-hmm. There's no question. It def- definitely is. And and finding that rod, uh, whether you're a beginner at jigging or have been there a while, is really tough. And then you do find the one that, that fits your personality and your jigging style. Uh, that becomes a one. And for me right now, it's a $450 rod. Damn nice rod. And it does a great job. But you know, there was a day where, you know, and still to this day, I can't afford too many $450 Dude. fishing rods. Yeah. Sure. So it, it would sure be nice to have something that you could afford that, that's affordable at retail that that can do this, the same things. It might not be quite as stout, but it's pretty damn stout. If For it sure. could go up to Sitka Dude, and We back have not down broke them yet. We've not broke them yet. And we've yarded halibut. Uh, off off the rocks, we've pulled lingcod out of structure, innumerable rockfish, right. but and the, we've let other folks use those yes. rods yeah. to you so, know. So Tom and I don't the, break a lot the of rods. Iron, the, the, it's the, it's the, typically a, the acid test will be Shane, Shane Palcoa. Palcoa. Yeah, yeah, Shane Palcoa, yeah. who's got that freak Polynesian strength deal <laughs> that's going to snap freaking you know bones apart when he was a safety for yeah. UW in New Orleans. But he could break rebar, dude. I'm well, telling you, we worked you. through that. We found the things you and I talked about it. Sure. You know these original prototypes. The handle wasn't long enough. Yeah. We had to get some things going. These aren't going to interfere with any of those hundred dollar, two hundred dollar, four hundred dollar no. rod sales out there. If you want that go get it but we're going to get something for the guy that's starting out that wants to get after it can buy it and feel damn comfortable out there in the boat that it's not going to give up on it. well and because it's affordable a guy can have you know tom and i talk about this all the time the last thing you want to be doing is trolling and see a hot jig bite and have to shut down because you you don't have jig rods on board this allows folks to uh, buy a, a rod that's reasonably priced have it have in it the rocket top. launcher, ready to go. And and by God, if something does happen to it, you know the the number one getter on on my boat is unfortunately the marina door coming down the yeah, ramp. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, you know, you've got four but, nine foot rods, and you try to open that door that's going to close automatically, and then go really quick, and you turn around, and there's <laughs> snappy, a, snap, snap, a gal snap, with snap. two children there and a cooler, and you can't go anywhere. And boom. Sure. But Joey's point is exactly on on spot. Yeah. You have to have a jig rod rigged up and ready to go. Because while I said jig fishing is deadlier and more productive than downrigger fishing, it is only for limited times in in limited spaces when the wind's not blowing. You have to learn that set of conditions that indicates you're going to jig. That's the trick right there. Which, if you show up at my Seattle Boat Show, you know, seminars I'll, I'll show you that we're also probably going to have those on uh, seattleboatshow.com pretty soon too kind of a pre-boat show seminar series here okay, so cool. you're listening to the best of the outdoor line seattle sports station 710 and the seattle sports app you're listening to the best of the outdoor line seattle sports station 710 and the seattle sports app here's a great interview from a while back that i think you're going to love welcome to the bomac tech line bomac has all the gear for all your techniques and smi shellfish gear is simply the best bomac we catch big fish so typically if you log on to redsflyshop.com you're going to get a lot of information with regard to their equipment the opportunities they have in the yakima river and the gear and all that kind of stuff but uh joe roder of, of red's fly shop is here to tell us 
about a little different experience and the word little will probably not be heard again. Congratulations on the biggest moose I've seen anybody get this year, Joe Roeder. Hey, good morning. How are hey. you guys? Good. I'm looking at a picture of this thing right now. And, uh, yeah, I just poured a little bit of Bailey's into my coffee. And I'm kind of like, <laughs> kind of digging on this picture. How big was this sucker? What was the spread on that? That's a Sharis moose. And it does not, it looks like something you just shot in Northern BC or, or Alaska. I mean, this is a cranker. The brow man. tines on it are crazy. Yeah. Five on one side, four on the other. Just a, wow. just a beast. So tell us about this thing, you know, uh, uh, how it all went down and then just the sheer size of it, man. Give us some dimensions and all that stuff, some details. Well, there's two things I got to clear up real quick. One is uh, there were six brow tines on one side. <laughs> Come on, Joe. And, Jeez. And the <laughs> other one was the other one was a text exchange with Tom Nelson that I just got to clear up. I, you guys, Tom said he was going to call at 6:25 a.m. and I said, "Well, that's earlier than normal." And he says, "Well, that you're not normal, and neither am I." And I thought about it. I'm like, man, I think Tom thinks I was saying 625 is too early. But what I was really saying is normally we talk at 725. So right, we, I just want to get that yeah. out there, Tom. I'm not afraid to get okay. up early for a little chatting about hunting. But that's it. And that's what makes us not normal, right, is we're up, yeah. on, up at 625 on Saturday morning. So this is a once-in-a-lifetime tag. Let's start at the beginning. How many years, Joe Roder, did you put in for this tag? Yeah, it's a really good question because a lot of people don't, uh, especially if they're non-hunters, don't understand how this works. But uh, the moose in Washington State is a once-in-a-lifetime tag for a bull moose. And they're very coveted, and big game managers manage them, you know, with a very finite harvest level that can be sustained using every science. year. Yeah, using science. Yeah, <laughs> a great <laughs> concept. So they have they have a certain number of moose that can be harvested in each unit each year based on their their surveys. And so it took me 24 years to get this tag. So since since I was 18 years old, since I kind of managed my own money, my dad never put in for a special permit hunt when I was young. But starting when I was 18 was about the time the system went electronic, and so you didn't have to front the 360 bucks. At that time, prior to that, when I was in high school, you had to front the 360 bucks. And I was just broke. Uh, and as soon as they, you didn't have to front the money, it was like, ever, you know, that's when I think a lot of people started being more diligent about putting it every year. But anyway, fast forward 24 years, is that my 24th application finally got the word selected on it. Wow. And, uh, uh, and, and t- tell, tell me, I mean, I, I go through this every year where I look at my, you know, you look at it and, and occasionally you'll see that selected. And, you know, I've, I've, I've drawn a, um, a big bull tag a couple times, but what goes through your head when you see that selected yes, on bull moose? Like, because it's the one thing yeah. we all are just like, you <laughs> want to see that. Oh, well, it's, it's great. So when those results come in, and if there's hunters listening, they'll understand this. But the results come in, and it's written in all capital letters. So it's all caps. And usually it's like, I feel like I'm being yelled at, not selected, not selected. <laughs> you, you come across that one that says selected, and you're like, oh, my God. You know, the first thing that goes in your head on it, something like this is like you feel a lot of pressure because you're like, man, I put in a lot of time, and you know that you're going to – you're definitely going to be uh, – some of that domestic leeway is going to be uh, on loan. Um, leeway from work is going to be on loan. Um I put 16 days in the unit, which is 
that's a four and a half hour drive from my house. I was in North central Washington. And so that's a lot of drive time, you know, a lot of investment. So I, w- I was really fortunate to be able to have that latitude to make a lot of trips, scouting and hunting uh, for the moose. So yeah, the first thing goes in my mind is like, dude, everything else has got to be on hold. You know, yeah. all those others, all that other stuff mm-hmm. that you do, all the steelhead fishing, you know, a lot of the other hunting trips or you got to shelf all that and kind of be hyper focused on this. Well, and that was one of the questions I was going to ask you. We just don't have a lot of intel up there because we, you know, you're going to get drawn once in three lifetimes up there for a moose or whatever. So you spent a lot of time scouting up there. Uh, is that an August, September deal? I mean, do you got cameras out? Are you talking to the biologist? What goes into the scouting on one of these moose hunts here in Washington to get some intel? Yeah, kind of all of the above. You know, first off, like everybody was super helpful that I reached out to. Um, I, I got introduced to like, oh, my buddy has a buddy who's a biologist. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My buddy has a buddy who has a buddy that is a logger. Or my buddy has a buddy who has a buddy who's a forester. And I was introduced to loggers, foresters, biologists. Um, n- none of them did I just pick the phone up directly and call like off the DFW or Forest Service website or anything. It was always an introduction. Mm-hmm. And everybody was super helpful. I got a little help on uh, the hunting-washington forum. Um, there were some folks on there that were really helpful. But... The risk is that people will send you on um, ghost hunts um, or ghost chases all over the place, and you end up spreading yourself so thin chasing this rumor and that rumor, and somebody saw a great big one four years ago on that ridge. Well, there might be some value to that. That might not be the same bull living there, but you end up chasing your tail a lot. And what I elected to do is I had uh, some buddies that have historically hunted whitetail up in the north, northeast, north central a lot, and they historically had pictures of really big bulls on trail cam. And I focused the vast majority of my hunt on that area and boot hunted for the first nine days of my hunt and just did nothing but hike. I drove around a little bit just to rule like vegetation and country in and out, whether I liked the look of it and enjoyed being there. But mostly I worked on my dream was to call one in and have it smash through the alders and, and, and come in looking for fight. You know, that was my ultimate dream. And I had a couple little bulls come in the first two days of the season when I had my bow in my hand and I elected to, to pass on those little guys. And I would have been delighted with, frankly, would have been delighted with either of them. Uh, but I just said, ah, you know what? I want to savor this experience, pass them up. And then the third day, which is the moose rut, the breeding season is right at the beginning of October when I started hunting. And I, I got an opportunity to what turned out to be an extremely nice bull on the third morning in low light. I was sitting over a big marsh um, that we had hiked into, and we had, been, we had been in this marsh every morning, every night, staying till dark, in there before daylight, just waiting for these bulls to come in and hopefully check on some cows. And I had cameras hung up, and we had seen occasionally bulls in these areas, but they were on the move so much, you just get one glimpse of them at night on the camera, so it was, there was no predictability to it. It got light, and, uh, and I was real nervous. It took 24 years to get the tag. I'm only three days into this hunt, and it's a long, 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 long season. I let that bull slip away, and I thought, oh, well, I've seen three bulls in three days. This is going to be great. I'm not going to have a problem, you know, filling this tag if I just it comes down to it. I hunted nine more days without seeing or hearing a single moose after that. And it was broken up into, it was kind of broken up into two hunts, but it was a total of, uh, yeah, I mean, really 10 days. Cause that bull slipped out of there at, at essentially at shooting light. And 
it was essentially 10 days before I came across another bull, which was the bull I shot. Um, and so it was very hot in the beginning of the season, very difficult conditions. I, I don't want to be the guy that makes excuses, but we hunted really, really hard and, and never turned up another bull, you know, that front half of the season. Fast forward a few weeks, I'm, I've got a plan and I'm, I'm, I'm going to hunt after the snow flies and the vegetation is off the trees. That's what all the moose gurus said. Hey, just wait until the leaves fall off the trees. Wait until you have some snow. The moose will be much more happy to be out in um, kind of the scrub willow and the burns and, and some of the logging, the mixed-use logging stuff um, that's up there. So you're looking at satellite imagery. You're looking at satellite imagery and, uh, you know, trying to find all these different openings. And so I, you have a plan. Anyway, we get back up there, and I'm watching the forecast, and they're predicting, like, a dangerous winter storm, like 20 inches of snow. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, this is good. It's bad. My 16-year-old son and I leave, leave Ellensburg about 3.30 in the morning. We get up there, and the first thing that happens is we cut about six deadfall out of the road. I mean, there's no traffic up yeah. there because mm-hmm. there's no open sea, other open seasons. We cut six deadfall out of the road with the chainsaw. And I'm like, oh, this is turning into a nightmare. We end up with four chains on the Jeep, cutting deadfall out of the road. We did that for two whole days, and um, did that for two whole days. Didn't see a single moose. And then this is stuff the we end do for fun. Day, yeah, you know? this is, this yeah, is this fun. we call this fun, right? <laughs> Man, okay, like, go ahead, I Joe. remember my son. I remember my son. We're putting chains on, and he's like, Dad, is this? You know, yeah. He's like, his hands. Of course, he's shoving his hands up his shirt and trying to keep yeah. his hands warm. He's got gloves on. And I feel the door closing on this moose hunt. I'm like, man, if it keeps snowing like this, we're not going to be able to get around it. I suck at riding a snowmobile. I mean, I'm like the worst snowmobile rider ever, <laughs> like ever, ever, ever. So I'm like picturing myself trying to ride a snowmobile. So it keeps snowing that night. There was a, you know, you know, if we had longer format, I would share a few other, you know, funny mm-hmm. details that happened. Mm-hmm. But basically it just keeps snowing all night the next morning. The next morning we wake up and I'm like, we're not going to be able to get around. And at this point, one of the, one of the, one of the fellows from reds that you guys spent some time with Dallas shows up because mm-hmm. Dallas wants to get in on this too. And lend a hand in the event we harvest. He's like, I want to uh, be miserable with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. He's good. Yeah. I'm like, man, another guy to put chains on and run the chainsaw and drag logs out of the road. Cause I mean, all that snow had just knocked over all this burn, all this, this burn slash was just falling all over the roads. And, uh, well, we wake up in the morning and I'm like, man, I know two areas that are likely been plowed because there's like three feet of snow above 4,000 feet now. And we go to the first one and it's, it's, it's a graded pass, essentially not like a highway, but it's graded. And, um, and so many people who know that area are going to know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not really worried about it because this bull was one in a million. Uh, it's not going to happen there again, but we go to the graded pass and we literally try to park you know, on the graded pass and I've got a pretty well-equipped Jeep and we literally get stuck just trying to get off the road enough to glass, um, a bunch of these burns. And I'm like, okay, this is bad. We can't even literally park, um, up there. So we get unstuck and I'm like, okay, I know they've been logging up in a particular unit and I've been in there before and a firewood cutter, by the way, if moose tag holders talk to every firewood cutter you see, like they (laughs) have the best intel and they are not emotionally invested in your hunt. They're not going to BS you. They'll let you know how it is. A firewood cutter had seen a really nice bull up there 
um, in October, you know, a couple weeks prior. And I'm like, okay, we're going to go check this spot. And I had a couple leads from a forester as well that told me, hey, you got to hit this spot after it snows. Okay, man, I am so down. I think this hunt is like, I'm like, man, this is not working out the way I thought. I can't even get around. I'm going to go and I'm going to be driving a graded road. And it's a logging operation that's up there. Guys, I'm not kidding. It was like an act of God, man. I took two corners right as we got to the spot that I wanted to be in where they, it had burned and they, they had salvage logged it. We come around two corners and right from the rig. I mean, I'd like to tell you this was like some deep backcountry remote experience. It was lucky. <laughs> we, we come around two corners and we see this bull. And I'm like, I can't believe my eyes. It was like a prehistoric wow. critter. I mean, you know, this, this bull has so many points. It has a total of 27 points. Um, you know, scoreable points. And, uh, we come around the corner. I go, Oh my Lord. I go, I might've said something else. Some other expletive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I parked the rig, I parked the rig and, and the bull starts, he, he sees us, but he's working his way up the hill. It's not like, you know, this is not like a fire drill. And I grab my rifle and I sneak up the road and start s scooting up the road. And my son Jensen and Dallas are with me. And, and they're like, they were like, okay, that bull's gone. They assume, you know, cause it took me a minute to, to get a shot, but I snuck up the road and he had stopped kind of on this rise. And I, I got about a hundred yard offhand shot. You know, my least favorite is an offhand shot when you're shaking like a leaf. I mean, I was just out of it. I'm like, Oh my like, goodness. I'm, I can't imagine much, the dude. feeling right there. Seeing that giant moose and it was a hundred yards. That's close. About a hundred yards. And, and, uh, you know, I've had a lot of shooting coaching and stuff, but I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure it went all out the window because I said, like, just snap shoot it, man. I go, just, just snap shoot this thing. It's not, the, it's a big animal. So I shot and, uh, you know, offhand shot and I'm shooting a 300 short bag. You know, it's a good round, but not, you know, it's not a 375. And I've heard of these things just taking slugs and just walking off on you. Like, mm -hmm. you know, just they'll die eventually, but, you know, the recovery takes a little bit of time. But I shot. And I was just like, oh, my Lord, please don't just walk over that rise. And uh, cause it's, it's on like a 50 degree slope. It's, oh. it's a steep slope. Like it's the kind of slope that you have to ha use your hands to get up. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I shot and man, it took the slug and then it just it stood there and then just took one step back and then two steps backwards, three steps. And then, and a you know, more it's going steps. down, yep. dude. And then it fell. And this is no joke. This may be the best oh. part of the story. Dude, it fell, Here and it I'm comes. like, oh, my gosh, I did it. That just happened, and it slid all the way back down <laughs> and crashed on the edge of the road we were on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was a, this was an act know, of God. No yeah. yeah, dude. Did you get, so did you get them all out that same day? Oh, yeah, man. It was like, oh, no, we processed wow. it. I mean, it was like a meat shop processing <laughs> deal. We had three of us, and we did a breaking down animals. It was like we broke it apart so clean. It took about three hours, and it was like every quarter that came off and every piece of meat came off mm -hmm. just got laid in hard packed snow. Oh, and the perfect. meat, the wow. meat has been like, I mean, if meat were but, I mean, like it's like butter. I mean, it's so good. And <laughs> how much does a, a hind quarter weigh? How much does one of those hind quarters weigh? On that you know, you, Rob, I'll be honest with you, they're not mm -hmm. the Shiras. The Yukons must right. be a lot bigger because I hear people mm -hmm. talk about it, but. They were like 96 pounds ish. I remember one of them being 96, yeah. um, bone in, knee off, and um, you know. So, I yeah. it was definitely bigger. I've shot some very very large bull elk. It was definitely mm -hmm. bigger, but it was only like hanging weight. Hanging weight mm -hmm. on it 
when you remove the backbone and the neck, and I think there's a lot more bone mass in the backbone because the moose are longer and some leg bone. So on the yeah. hoof, they're definitely heavier, but it's about 100 pounds, about 100 pounds heavier than a really mammoth bull elk. But the heart yeah. was way bigger. We ate the heart, and awesome. there are features of a moose yeah. like the head and obviously you know the bone mass and stuff that, that are just larger, but great yeah. eating animal. We got it all processed up by this just awesome local butcher, just small mom and pop mm-hmm. shop that, you know, take their, they take their time doing everything right. And we've, we've eaten moose, I think every night. <laughs> um, you've eaten, no, you've eaten a lot of wild game. How does it rank against elk and mule deer and, and, and beef? I mean, how does it rank against all that stuff? A, a good solid well, backstrap it, steak. Where do you put it? Yeah. It doesn't give you the, the, the meat sweats and the, the fat hangover like beef. I mean, you eat wild <laughs> game it's, if it's prepped right. If it's prepped right, you can eat all you like, and you still feel like Superman. Yeah. You know, you don't get that meat hangover. But, awesome. yeah, it's great. It's just different. I like all of them. The tenderloin was not – I was talking to Joey about this on a separate call, but dry aging, like learning how to handle wild game properly and, and dry aging it and aging it a little bit really helps in the tenderness because, uh, you like, the tenderloins, we ate, we ate them within two days of taking the bull, and they just weren't – super tender like one that i might let sit in my Mm. fridge for a week or even in the freezer for you know a few months tends to break down and age a little bit so i think there's some value in just people understanding that aging meat without a doubt joe we're up against the break buddy but great story once in a lifetime tag you found a once in a lifetime bull you had a once in a lifetime experience congratulations so happy for you we're looking forward to seeing how this thing scores too oh yeah you think it's gonna be right up there you know it's gonna be right near the stay record real close i don't make any we're looking forward to it we're looking forward yeah, to hearing about it. We'll keep in touch, buddy. we got to run and, and uh, get up against a break here and get out of here. But uh, thank you so much for the time, and congrats again. No dude. doubt, dude. Super Great awesome. story. Thanks, Joe. Yeah. You're listening to the best of the outdoor line, Seattle Sports Station 710 and the Seattle Sports app.